0: Hello friends and thanks for listening to the first episode of the Capital City Soccer Show, your independent source for everything Austin FC. My name is Landon Cottom and I'm joined by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley.
1: Yeah, welcome to the show everybody. We're happy to be recording again and look forward to working with the good people at CapitalCitySoccer.com to build the excitement around the launch of our club in 2021.
0: Um, So Jeremiah, I think a lot of people will, will be familiar with us, others may not, but why do why do we have a new show why are we doing this show <laughs> well we
1: love talking to each other which is apparently something that sustains both of us but uh we've i think we've both followed it engaged with troy and zach at capitalcitysoccer.com a lot over the last year or so and um, really gotten excited about what they're looking to bring to the table in terms of being the single best independent news source for austin fc and saw this as an opportunity uh they have a website, but not a podcast. And we had a podcast and not a website. So it just seems like a natural partnership. And we're, we're really excited to continue bringing the same type of content we had before and get folks ready for the launch of our club.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree. I am couldn't be more excited to be working with the, the good people over at uh, Capital City Soccer. So um, hopefully some some people will be listening to this show. And uh, if if you like this show, we would encourage you to share it with your friends. If you don't like the show, I would encourage you to, to give it a few more episodes before before you uh, you make your mind up. So, um, um, all right. So we would be remiss not to mention what what all's going on in the world right now. Uh, there's there's a lot of stuff happening for a lot of different reasons. The um, protests against police brutality is one of the things. Going on, and we're gonna we're gonna cover that topic with our our first interview guest, which is um, Caitlin Swartz, who was the founder and CEO of Upper 90, which is an organization in town that a lot of you will be familiar with. Uh, Austin FC then brought that organization into their 4ATX Foundation, and so she is um, she's working still doing a lot of that good work in the community that she was doing with uh, Upper 90. Um, but doing it with the the reach and more resources through Austin FC. So um that's a really great interview that we'll have coming up here in a little bit. So and like I said, we're gonna we're gonna get into um get into some of the the things that are going on in the world right now. we also we're also planning on uh covering that type of stuff a good bit in our um in our next episode. And so uh yeah, we'll we're not going to talk about it a ton in this episode, but just know that it is a thing that is important to us and that we, we do care deeply about. And we are going to talk about it in that interview with Caitlin and then also in that next episode. So, so stay tuned for that. Jeremiah, do you want to talk about some soccer?
1: I would love to talk about some soccer. And <laughs> we've been doing, you know, we've talked about soccer. We've talked about the idea of soccer a lot in a world without soccer. And I think we had some Belarus talk at one point and. Yeah, I mean the the most of the big leagues in Europe are are getting back to play. So, have have you been watching any German soccer?
0: I have. I didn't watch a ton this weekend, but the first two or three weeks it was on, I was watching. Usually, at least a game or two on uh, on the weekends, like each day. Uh, I didn't. I haven't been able because of work. I haven't been able to catch the midweek ones. But yeah, I've I've watched quite a bit of it. How about you?
1: Yeah, I've watched quite a bit of it, and I mean the big question is, what do you think about the? about the piped in crowd noise.
0: I don't like it. Um, I would honestly like I'm. I think there's some people who are more drawn to like the spectacle of a soccer game, which I'm not judging that at all. It's it's like kind of two camps, like you just kind of like the excitement of it, which I think those type of people probably do like the crowd noise. I lean more on like the nerdy end of it. And I would really love to be able to hear what the players are saying to each other and like what the coach is yelling on the sideline. And you can't really hear it because of the piped in crowd noise. And so I would honestly love to be able to just hear what they're saying on the field. Yeah. And I feel, what like- about you? Do you yep. Are you a fan of it?
1: Yeah, uh, I liked it. So I think the first week we got more of just the natural um, where you could hear everything that's going on. And yeah, I liked it better. I mean, I get, you know, if you, if you don't care about the match at all and you need, like, you need to be guided by the sound of the crowd. And they've, got a, they've gotten better about it, right? Like, about chants and, like, VAR reactions and stuff like that. But, yeah, overall, I mean, you can't – we can't pretend, like, what's going on is not going on. And so, I think in that way, it's good to have – to take advantage of this opportunity to really – to hear the match and, like, not pretend it's just – it's a crowd full of people. Like, acknowledge that it's empty. And then – I know in Germany, at one point, you could buy a cardboard cutout of yourself – and put it in the stadium. yeah there,
0: i I did see that last week there was um I don't remember what team it was, but there was several hundred of them up in the stands, like the cardboard cutouts with the phases. I kind of liked that it, yeah. it made it look like a bit more colorful in the stadium um so i cut- I like strangely kind of like the cardboard cutouts, but I don't like the piped in sound, yeah, um so one of the next leagues that's going to get started is m l s uh so they announced the other day that. They're going to be starting play on July 8th in what they're calling the MLS is back tournament, which is, uh, I don't think a very good name for a tournament, but it's an MLS tournament nonetheless. So I will love it and I will watch it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not very creative for sure. Uh, yeah. So what did, you, did you watch the draw?
0: No, I, I I listened to Extra Time's kind of recap of the draw, but I didn't get a chance to watch that. I heard that was kind of weird too. Did you watch it? I didn't watch it. I didn't watch it. All I heard about it was it was kinda of weird that everybody Yeah, I was on a Zoom call and like some people were like wearing like suits and ties and then like LAFC just sent a fan who was just wearing a jersey. <laughs> so it was like a weird like pandemic world event over Zoom. So I like fitting for the time, but I heard it was kind of strange. And and fitting um, for MLS, right? Yeah. Yeah, and that's we'll get into to how we think this is going to go later. But first, let's go over some of the details of the tournament. So the MLS is Back tournament is going to start on July 8th and run through August 11th, and it's going to be happening at the ESPN Wide World of Sports, which is um it's it's essentially on a Dis- on Disney World World's Resort in Florida. And so essentially going to be like a little mini World Cup. There's going to be six groups, um, one group of of six, strangely. So uh, five groups of four and one group of six, um, which is like, again, a weird and MLS thing to do. But in fairness, how do you how do you equally divide up 26 teams? So I'm not going to fault them for that one. (laughs) Uh, The top two teams from each group are going to go through to the next round, as well as the four best third-place teams will go through to the next round, which is going to be single-game knockout. And there's not going to be any extra time in those games. It's going to go straight to penalty shootouts. Uh, Not penalty kicks, not penalty shootouts. Um, I think it would make it more exciting if they did like NASL-style penalty shootouts and make it as American as MLS as ever, but I don't think they're going to do that. Uh, The winners are going to get a... CONCACAF Champions League birth, which is, that's pretty good. And then uh, $1.1 million in prize money. So um, about the money, it wasn't very clear where that money was going to go initially. And I've done a bit more research and it seems like it will go to the players, which I think it should go to the players. Um, it's uh, split between, so there's 23 people on the roster split between 23 people, it's like $43,000 a piece or something like that, which for your top earning players isn't that much, but for most MLS players, that's that's good money. Like that's really good money for most of them.
1: Yeah, it is. And and for I mean they're putting themselves through a lot too to to do with that. So uh, I was looking at this, so they're going to begin arriving in Orlando on June 24th and they have all these medical and uh testing protocols they have to follow. They have to follow through. And I guess it's a, I think it's seven days before the first match is as late as people can arrive so that they make sure that everybody's healthy and safe and ready to go um, when they play. Have you looked at the bracket at all?
0: Uh, Not very closely.
1: Yeah. I I, I took a quick look at it today. And I I think group, I guess poor Houston is what I have to say mostly. So they're in this group F with, uh, yeah, LAFC, LA Galaxy, Portland, and Houston. So I feel like there's not much of an opportunity that they'll have to be one of the top. one of the top four uh, out of the, one of the top three out of their group. Sorry for sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, you say that, but this is going to be a weird tournament, right? Like, so mentioning the money leading up to the announcement of this tournament was some pretty contentious negotiations between the Players Association and the league, where essentially they, so they had their collective bargaining agreement earlier this year. That was never formally ratified. It was, scheduled to happen later on and then the pandemic hit and so the league still had a bunch of leverage on these players and so essentially they were they were the league was playing hardball in these negotiations and were trying to get them to take pay cuts like what uh MLB is doing or these other big American leagues which it seems fair at first glance but again like we mentioned these players don't make that much money like a lot of these MLS players don't make that much money and so it's not only that they end up taking a pay cut, but they're also then asked being asked to go do this tournament, which could potentially be dangerous, is taking them away from their families for an extended period of time. And this is a thing that is not in their contract that they technically probably don't have to do. Um, so, again, I hope that prize money goes to them. But also, there might just be teams that just don't care about this tournament and aren't going to put a lot of effort into it so maybe lafc or laf galaxy doesn't care about the tournament or um i think was it chicharito one of the like big name players has a, a pregnant wife right vela. now
1: Calls vela, was it vela yeah.
0: okay i couldn't remember who it was um a pregnant wife and I, I could very easily see someone in that situation saying yeah i'm not gonna go and so Maybe LAFC doesn't look that good, and they, they don't care that much about it. And Houston works really hard. They're used to the heat and the humidity, so Orlando's not going to phase them. Maybe they go through. Who knows?
1: Yeah, who knows? Yeah, Orlando, it's weird that both, uh, and there's a reason for it, I guess because Disney's just such a huge complex, that both uh, MLS and the, the National Basketball Association are both doing their sort of short-form, you know, whatever-they-have tournament, both, both in Orlando at, at Disney properties, but I guess they're better set up for it than anybody else. Uh, you know,
0: yeah. So I was going to say, sorry, go ahead.
1: To say on the CBA, you know, the bad thing is I think we've talked about this and then I, I know a lot of people have, but it feels like the players finally got like a fair CBA after 25 years of playing. And then, you know, they, they almost lost it. Right. Cause the, the owners were in a position to walk all that back. And so I'm glad that they were able to arrive at something that made sense. And hopefully the players, I, mean, I don't know what the exact details were, but hopefully the players came out. Okay um and this
0: yeah it it didn't end up as as bad as it could have um the players ended up kind of making a stand and th- they gave up some stuff but i think it ended up being like a 5 to 7% pay cut across the board and then a lot of these bonuses that were were scheduled to kick in have essentially been pu- pushed back a year and so it it's not terrible but it's yeah it, it's not the deal that they agreed to before either um so we're talking about the piped in crowd noise and empty stadiums in Germany. This is going to be essentially like what's going to look like youth soccer pitches with no stands around them. Um, So it's just going to be interesting to see how they handle that. Like, do you put in crowd noise if there's no actual stands around the pitch for there to even be a theoretical crowd in? Um, I, I think there's, There's an opportunity for MLS to kind of do just kind of like lean into the weirdness and do some really interesting things. Um, But there's also an opportunity for this to be really, really awkward and strange. So is this is this tournament going to be a disaster or is this going to be the most gloriously MLS thing to ever happen?
1: I think it can be both. I feel like a yeah, disaster. The, the, the answer is yes. Would be the most gloriously MLS thing to happen. But to your point earlier, I mean, I do kind of miss the What is it, the thirty-eight yard run up, uh, uh, penalty kicks. Like I think they they could have yeah. really brought that back and, and and made a difference.
0: Yeah, why not, right? Um, so th- I have heard some talk of, that they're going to do some like interesting coverage of of players throughout this tournament, which they're all staying at the same resort, right? So there's kind of this weird situation where all these players are going to be together for an extended period of time. So I think there's some really interesting options for content creation around that and kind of show off personalities of these players, build some interest in the league in that way. So I'm hoping they they take advantage of that kind of stuff as well and, and really get to highlight the the just kind of these characters that exist in the league, because I think that's something that MLS hasn't always done a great job of. Uh, They focus so much on kind of presenting this, this shiny packaged product that individual personalities don't always get to shine through. So this might be an opportunity for, for that to happen. And I hope they take advantage of that.
1: Yeah. And so what, what network carries this that, that, that kind of style makes me think about sort of this, you know, the Olympic style, you know, let's tell some human interest stories and build some compelling personalities you know and yeah i you, think
0: they're all going to be on espn yeah.
1: but espn espn's pretty good at st- telling stories too which they've had yeah. to do you know which i don't i don't know how many of the documentaries you've watched but they've certainly had to shift the way that they cover things being a full-time sports network in a world with no sports
0: yeah 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 so uh, i'm i'm yeah we'll, we'll see how it goes but hopefully we get some good content out of it so so sorry go ahead oh
1: no i was going i was just going to talk about um the tweet that we maybe that we saw and everybody else in Austin saw. And I think like 20 people texted Tom Webb about to see if he, uh, <laughs> see if he was going to spill any information. Um, Hector Moreno.
0: Yeah. Hector Moreno uh, liked a tweet from Austin FC. And then after some, some digging from, uh, from Mr. Troy Bryan over at capital city com, he found out that he actually follows some of the Austin FC social media accounts. And it would be one thing if you followed like 10 other MLS teams, it's the only one, just Austin FC. So that started this big rumor of, uh, of maybe Hector Moreno is, is one of our DP signings that that's going to be coming in.
1: Yeah. I think we've talked about, uh, it's like the first, it seems like the first real rumor, right? I mean, we've, we've had games, but no, but not, not like anything meaningful.
0: Yeah, it's all like essentially na- like Chicharito is one of them, but that's just one of those names that pretty much every club or the fans of every club were linking Chicharito to their team. Uh but there was never really any substance to that. This one seems like it has some substance. Um so I I didn't know a ton about Hector Moreno. I mean, I I knew kind of the basics, but I did kind of a deep dive and, uh, learned a lot about him over the last 24 hours or so. So, um, I would, after doing all that, I would be, I would be on board with this signing. So at a
1: high level, can you like describe him as a player right now? Um, you know, what are his, what are his strengths, weaknesses, his attributes?
0: Yeah. So for when he was younger, I think these comparisons, comparisons have kind of fallen off, but when he was younger, people were saying he was like the next coming of Rafa Marquez, which, um, uh, for those of you who don't know, um, Mexico legend, he's played at lots of big teams, um, was known as like where he really shines is playing in, uh, Marquez, I, I mean, is in a back three, playing that center center back in a back three and being able to carry the ball forward. And so really graceful and, and skillful on the ball, moving the ball forward. And then an absolute bulldog when defending and will will uh, run some people over and put in some, some really nasty tackles. So uh, Moreno is kind of in cut from that cloth. I don't think he's as, um, as ruthless a defender as, um, as Marquez was. I don't think he's as talented on the ball as Marquez was, but he's not far behind. And uh, looking through his career, he, he started out at Pumas in Mexico uh, when he was pretty young made a move to uh, Azed Alkmaar in the Netherlands and played there for three years. I think um, had his first uh, champions league run in, in uh, that stint there moved on to Espanol in Spain. He played there for four years and was named the club's uh, player of the year in the 2011, 2012 season, which that's a a pretty big deal to be player of the year for a, a top half Spanish team. So, Um, after that, he went back to the Netherlands, played at PSV for two years, then, uh, made a big move to Roma, which didn't go very well for him. Um, that was in 2017. He only stayed there for seven months or so, and then ended up being sold to Real Sociedad, played there for a year and a half, and is now playing in Qatar. And has been there since, since last year. Um, listeners, you won't be able to see this, but I'm actually wearing a Real Sociedad shirt right now, just because this is one of the few times I get a chance to talk about that team, but I lived in that city in Spain and they were pretty dreadful to watch when I lived there. So any chance I get to, to actually talk about that team and be excited about it, I get, I want to take it.
1: I love that. Yeah. So in his style, uh, you, how do you feel like it fits with what we know about how Josh Wolf wants to play?
0: Um, yeah. So going back to that stint at Roma, uh, I was looking into like why it went so bad, like what happened. And so uh, a guy named Ian Sersolo, who lives here in Austin, he's a huge Roma fan. And so I sent a message to Ian and it's like, Hey, what happened with Moreno at Roma? Uh, he essentially said that um, Moreno just didn't have the, the tactical understanding required to play at a top team in Italy. Uh, he'd played in, in Spain and Netherlands. Those leagues are very attack focused. And so he was usually tasked with carrying the ball forward, being kind of an an attack-minded defender. But uh, Italy has the the reputation of being very tactical, very uh, defensively apt. Uh, And he realized when he got there that he just couldn't do it. And there was um, a quote from, from Moreno himself saying that, I didn't realize that I didn't know how to defend until I got to Italy and he said he learned more in those 7 months in Roma than he did in the previous 10 years as a professional. So um yeah, he uh, not not tec- tactically gifted enough or smart enough to play in that high level of a of a team, but with a team like if if Josh Wolf is going to set up a team anything like what Greg Berhalter likes to do and I think he will, I think it's going to be a similar thing. Um Moreno is is good on the ball, very comfortable on the ball, likes to play long passes forward. Uh, so I think in in that regard, he will fit into a Josh Wolf system quite well. And then he's not a bad defender by any means. He's athletic, he's a good one-on-one defender, just maybe not as tactically astute as you would need to be to play for a top Italian team. But MLS is a is a league where Chad Marshall was the best defender in the league for several years. And so I think he'll be fine here on a defensive level. And then going forward, he'll, he'll bring a lot. So uh, yeah, I think, I think he would fit in fairly well to a wolf system.
1: Yeah. And his, his national team career has been impressive too, right? He's played in three world cups. Is that right?
0: Yeah. So he was uh, like, he didn't start every game in the first world cup you went to, but then in the last two, he started every game for Mexico. In in those games, or maybe I think he missed one because of card accumulation. But um, out of 10 World Cup games, no, maybe eight World Cup games in the last two World Cups, he played in seven of them, started in seven of them.
1: Yeah. And then as recently as what um, was it Gold Cup? Was it Gold Cup
0: 29? When was that? Yeah, when Gold the, Cup they, in 2019. Yeah. He, he was so he's 32 years old now. He'll be 33 at the beginning of the next MLS season. Um, so yeah, you think age might be a factor and maybe his glory days are behind him, but he started was starting for Mexico as recently as, as last year and was getting call-ups as recently as you really could have. So, um, he's still in Tata Martino's mind for the Mexico, Mexican national team. And so 33 years old, not that old. Uh, he's, he's a good athlete. Seems like he's in really good shape. So I think he, he would still have a good few years in him.
1: Yeah. I also noticed he's like shirtless on his Twitter profile and I can, I can <laughs> yeah. say for sure that, and he's got like his model wife or whatever too, right? Or girlfriend. I'm not sure what she is, but yeah, it was very clear that yeah, the the, the guy's still getting around the field pretty well. He's not, he's not Pirlo eating uh, scones and like laying at the, ba- yeah. in the back and smoking cigarettes or whatever. So yeah, yeah he's, he's super <laughs> I, impressive. And I, I know I've said before that I was not like really excited about a, a DP that was a defensive player, but this, I mean, he seems like a guy that can be creative and could could really make a difference and really set the club up for success from the spine and and play into everything we hear from Claudio and Josh about how they want to play.
0: Yeah, he's not super expensive. I mean, his his salary would probably be quite high, but uh transfer market uh has him valued at 3.5 million. So um it's it's a fair amount of money for an MLS team, but it's not the 15 million that atlanta played for barco a few years ago or whatever so um it's a it's a doable value and then if you could get another big name on a free or yeah there's still room to get attacking players on top of that so um yeah it seems like it would be a a decent fit so we'll see what happens and I, i think it would be interesting if this becomes um this starts to look like it, it might be a thing that's happening to get uh, a, a Mexico fan or maybe like a, a Mexican journalist or something on the show to talk more about Moreno. Cause they would most definitely know more about him than, than either of us do
1: <laughs> more than your hours of watching YouTube videos about him today.
0: Yeah. I watched uh, some interviews with him as well, just to kind of see like what his personality was like. Cause whenever Chicharito was signed, I went and did that with him and I was like, Oh, this guy's electric. Um, Moreno is not that personality. Uh, I did notice that interviews in Spanish, he's a bit more animated and a bit more um, engaging. His English is, is quite good. I mean, living in the Netherlands for so long, I imagine he learned a lot there. But uh, so he's I don't he's not going to be like that um, that electric like fan favorite personality. But he's also not a boring person by any means either.
1: Yeah, I don't think what, it, what he brings. Uh, remember, we did. We, did uh, we bring to the table seems like it would it would definitely make up um, for that. So, do you want to talk about? Let's shift from soccer to just generally what's going on with Austin FC um, and the club. I know they they just put in a bid for the uh, Gold Cup and also the NCAA College Cup um, coming up.
0: Yeah, what what do you? How do you feel about that? I think it's cool.
1: I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Obviously the gold cup, I understand, you know, the NCAA college cup, I don't know a ton about, but, um, I think it's exciting that they're in a position now to go ahead and like start making bids for these kinds of tournaments. And I, I think, you know, when I've thought about the stadium and I think all of us have done this, like we've always just thought about Austin FC and kind of had this vague idea that there would be other soccer, you know, that we would be able to watch in this environment. Um, and it's really exciting to, to see real world examples of, of the, kinds of soccer we might have coming to town. So I think that that part's really exciting. I'd assume that there's there's probably a lot of appeal in that too, right? I mean, we've going to we're going to have a brand new shiny 20,000 seat stadium that is going to be the jewel of the league that people are probably going to want to come to and bring tournaments to.
0: Yeah, and I think um I mean, I think from a fan perspective, the Gold Cup is is really appealing just I'm not sure what teams would play here, but to go see like a big international tournament like that, I think that would be a lot of fun, but from the club perspective, kind of a strategy perspective, hosting a tournament like that, and I imagine they would be using the training facilities as well. Um, we're going to have a, a World Cup on American soil in 2026, and that could be kind of a good practice run for hosting uh, hosting maybe an international team as like ha- having Austin as their home camp. Um, so that that could. I, I don't know. This is, I'm just guessing, but that could be another reason why Austin FC is interested in doing something like this to show that they have the facilities and the, the wherewithal to put on something like that and that they can host events like that. And maybe it would lead to getting more things in the future. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That'll be, it's just another example of, um, of the, of what, what they've managed to build. I went to the stadium. I hadn't been there in a while. Oh, well, we went there like two weeks ago. I hadn't been there in a long time. Yeah. And I just, one of the things that I, I think about a lot is even in the drawings, it seemed like a bit of an aluminum box and maybe I was just like not creative enough to really think about it. But when you see it, it's substantial, you know, and when you, when you see it coming in the skyline or you're driving in on breaker and then when you get up, um, you know, close to it, like it's a real, it's like a real stadium. Like it's very, it's very,
0: yeah. it's, it's solid. It's it's going to be a landmark in that part of town. Like it's, you can see it from, from several angles from pretty far away. It's, it's, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to put a mark on the, on the skyline for sure.
1: Yeah. And it'll contribute, you know, as that part of town grows out, it'll just be, it'll be really neat. It'll be a really neat thing to, to see. And like if from remembering from, um, you know, sneaking onto that site like a year and a half ago when it was just like the place that maybe it's the stadium dirt. was going to be. And it was just dirt. Yeah. You know, from that <laughs> to what it is now is incredible.
0: Yeah, that's that's amazing to think about. Um so hopefully one day soon, like quite soon, we'll be able to buy some tickets to sit in that stadium. So uh the team announced recently that the premium seats have officially sold out and there have been kind of hints and rumors that the general tickets are going to go on sale soon, sometime soon. We don't really know when. Um Yeah, so it seems like maybe the club is I think they're kind of put in a tough position right now where there's a lot of people who would have bought tickets that are maybe in a tough position right now because of the pandemic, maybe aren't working or maybe don't have as much uh, income coming in as they thought they were going to. And um, one one of the questions that the salespeople have been asking as they're calling um, deposit holders is would you be ready to buy tickets now or would you prefer to wait a little bit later in the future? Until things are a bit more steady, and it seems like they're kind of polling people to see like what that's going to look like. So, I wouldn't be surprised if that gets pushed back a little bit, and I also wouldn't be surprised if they called us next week to buy tickets. So, we'll we'll, we'll kind of have to see what that looks like.
1: Yeah. And So, have you gotten that call? I every time I keep seeing on Reddit, you know, people saying they've got a call from their person, and I have not gotten a call from my person. And it's yeah, I not.
0: I got like the little survey. There, there. It seems like they're kind of just doing like a little survey, like is this still like how many tickets are you looking to buy? What sections are you hoping like general sections you're looking to buy? And then like reiterating, like this isn't binding. We're just trying to get a good idea. And then also ask that question of like, are you ready to buy now or would you prefer to wait a little bit longer until like the world is a, a bit more certain of a place? So, um, yeah, that, that's all that call was. So those of you listening, if, if you haven't gotten the call or you missed the call, that's all it was. You didn't miss your chance to buy tickets. That's all it's gonna be at this point um but we it seems like we do have a bit more knowledge of how much tickets are actually gonna be at this point because those general uh sorry, those premium seats are sold out. That's about twenty five percent of the stadium. Andy Lonane's been saying for a year or so that um that the rest of the stadium would be sold at $48 or less per match when, when bought in like a season ticket package. So just by doing that math, it seems like the most expensive seats in the stadium of like what's left to buy are going to be like just over $800, uh, for, for a season ticket membership, which it's not as, it's not as high as I was afraid it was going to (laughs) be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I feel, I feel the same way that that there's there's going to be there's going to be some decent value in the stands they're not gonna they're not gonna max everything out the first year um you know i do i know like i do worry a little bit about the lafc thing because if I, if i remember right lafc had very reasonable supporters in general seeing the first year and maybe they went up by like 50 percent in year two so hopefully um that that won't happen but they yeah they're they're definitely not charging as much as they could charge given the demand that, that people have and one other thing i saw i think it was on reddit um because uh, I guess there are people that are premium deposit holders that weren't able to get premium seats because they had sold out of all of them, um, which is again good for demand. Um, but we wondered a little bit about where the premium people would be slotted in once right. once general came about, and um, if they would like move immediately to the top of the line ahead of the people who made the general deposits, which is not what we hope would happen. And it it it's just it is it's strictly time based. So if you put a general in ahead of someone in premium like they're going to slot in behind you which which was good to hear cuz they you know they could have again to just maximize how much money they were going to get out of people they they could have right. they could have moved the premium people to the front of the line and they they chose not to
0: yeah yeah let's let's hope that that is what happens cuz i didn't put in a premium deposit so i didn't either <laughs> um what do you if you had to guess right now what would you say supporters tickets are going to cost i my guess is between 5 and 600 dollars a year I just- yeah, I, th- I think that's about right. Looking at um, uh, uh, Capital City Soccer has a, a good article written about this where they kind of compare the prices of, of different ones around the league. Uh, it's, I think most of the prices are from last season. So all of those are probably were a bit higher this season. And then you just think about like the very high demand that we've seen in Austin so far. Yeah, I I think that you could between five and six hundred is probably a realistic estimate, um, which would put us among the the most expensive ones in the league. Um, But yeah, like I said, it's it's I I don't think we'll if we are, I don't think we'll be the most expensive. And if we are, it's not going to be by much. There's going to be other other high demand teams in the same ballpark as us.
1: Yeah. And I've been preparing my family for it to be $700 a ticket. So that way, anything under that, I feel like, I feel like we're saving. We're coming in under budget.
0: <laughs> You're brilliant, Cheryl. Wait, it was
1: $5.99. What a deal. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Let's get to that Caitlin Swartz interview. So Caitlin is the vice president of community engagement for Austin FC. She was also the founder and CEO of Upper 90 before that, which is now uh, part of the philanthropic arm of Austin FC. And so Caitlin and her team are doing some really amazing things for the community here in Austin. And so, um, yeah, this is a really, a really interesting interview and um, really shows some of the impact that they're able to have in this city right now. So uh, let's, let's cut to that. Caitlin, thanks so much for joining us today.
2: Thanks so much for having me.
0: All right. So your current title is the Vice President of Community Engagement for Austin FC. But before joining Austin FC, you are the founder and CEO of Upper 90. So tell us what Upper 90 is. I think a lot of our listeners will will already know a bit about it, but some of them may not. So tell us what Upper 90 is and, and the story of how it came about.
2: Sure. So Upper 90 is now a program of 4ATX Foundation, which is the nonprofit arm of Austin FC. And It is a positive youth development program that uses soccer as an educational tool to really just help low-income students find success in the classroom, on the soccer field, and in life. Um, So the program started a little over three years ago, um, and, you know, we just see... Our whole philosophy is that soccer is an incredibly powerful tool, um, and we are using that tool to really engage students who just don't have the opportunity to play soccer and learn and grow together. Um, So we have a curriculum that combines soccer with social-emotional learning, restorative justice, and mindfulness. Um, And we use that curriculum every day at practice, um, really just to help kids kind of Identify their strengths and build on them, and learn and grow together.
1: Hey, Caitlin. So, can you talk a little bit about, like, so in normal times, what does that practically look like? You know, as far as the the setup of a, of a session.
2: Yeah. So, in normal times, we are at schools. So, kids literally walk out of the classroom and come outside to the soccer field, and we're there to greet them um, two days a week after school for two hours. Um, so if you come to practice, it'll look a little bit different than a normal soccer practice. Um, we definitely do, you know, skills and um, games and that sort of thing. But we also have a lot of different um, kind of SEL exercises baked in as well. Um, and in the middle of practice, we stop and we sit down in circle, um, and that's where we do the restorative justice work. Um, and then on the weekends, we meet, and that's when we do our community program. So kids from wherever, it doesn't matter you know, where they go to school, they can come out and be a part of the program. And we do anything ranging from scrimmages and games to field trips. Um, we've gone to UT and St. Ed's um, to watch the women's team play and do clinics there. Um, we've you know, taken tours of the campus, we'll do family potlucks. So it's really just um, a way to kind of rally the community together um, around these amazing students.
1: Yeah. one of the things I love about what y'all do too, is you talked about the the community potlucks, but you involve the parents also, right? Which I think it's, I mean, as we know is really important to the work. So can you talk about how, some ways that you get them involved?
2: We do. So, um, I mean, the beautiful thing about soccer is it's, it's just fun for everybody and, you know, parents like playing parents, like watching and it's just really a, a good place to meet people where they are. Um, so, We invite them, you know, they can watch practices if they want during the week. And then on the weekends, we, um, you know, we invite them to play with us. We'll do, like I said, we do potlucks. We've done um, college nights where we'll say, you know, come play soccer, watch your kids play soccer. And then we're all going to go inside and talk about, um, you know, what it's like to be a first generation college student. Um, so it's really about, you know, soccer is kind of the common language that everyone speaks. And that's kind of the tool that we use to build relationships, build trusting and long-term relationships with these families. Cause we know that, you know, kids don't grow up just at school, right? They grow up at home. And so getting, you know, building relationships with their families is really important as well.
1: And then how's that shifted now? I mean, well, what, what does your programming look like given the current situation?
2: You know, I think just like everybody else, we're doing our very best to adjust and be adaptable. Um, we ran a six-week spring program um, virtually um, when everything, you know, hit in Austin, and um, you know, it was it was a good learning experience. I think, you know, there's no there's no replacement for face-to-face, in-person, you know, kicking the ball around. But we met with the students. Um, you know virtually each week, and I think the coolest moment for me, I was able to jump into a few here and there. And there was one day where a student of ours who had moved back to Mexico um, to live with his mom in Mexico, we hadn't heard from him since he we, uh, since he moved. And then all of a sudden he just pops up on the zoom call and he's there and he's ready to do circle with us. and he's excited to show us how his English has actually improved a ton since we you know last saw him a year ago. Um, so in some ways, you know, it was challenging, but in some ways it was really beautiful and that, you know, it doesn't matter where you are. You can, you can join us from a zoom call from wherever.
1: Yeah. I'd imagine those kids, the moments of those kids are like the most rewarding part of that work, right?
2: Oh, 100%. The relationships with the kids, it's, it's everything. It's the reason we do what we do. They're amazing kids. They have so much potential. Um, and it's yeah, it's just wonderful to be out there. And, um, you know, I, I think that's why we try to create as many opportunities as possible for the community to come out and too and, you know, volunteer with Upper 90 and get to know the kids and just kind of bring the community together through soccer.
0: We've, we've gotten to attend a few of, of y'all's events with um, when Anthem was involved with things and it's to see the, those coaches um, interacting with those, those kids is really, it's a really special thing that y'all, that y'all are doing.
2: Thank you. Yeah, we, we've we loved having y'all come out. I think the coaches, we just are so lucky. We have an amazing group of coaches and especially, you know, half of the coaches that we have are actually students who have come through the program and graduated high school. And this is kind of their first job experience being an assistant coach. And, you know, as fun, as fun as it is for someone like me to be out there with the kids, there's absolutely no replacement for somebody who literally grew up in the exact same neighborhood and went through the same kinds of experiences being out there, um, as role models and kind of, you know, helping guide these students, um, through their pathways. So yeah, it's, it's our coaches are a special, very special group of people.
0: So you've already mentioned this a little bit, but, um, I think it was earlier this year, um, upper 90 became part of the four ATX foundation, which is Austin FC's philanthropic arm. And you are technically, um, an employee of Austin FC now, correct?
2: I am. So you actually mentioned I have technically have two titles. So I'm okay. <laughs> vice president of community engagement and my other hat is executive director of 4ATX foundation.
0: Okay. Um,
2: so, yeah, I think, you know, I've, it's been amazing just watching this whole process, you know, bringing major league soccer to Austin. And um, I think just for the club to make that kind of an investment to see upper 90 and to see the work that we're trying to do and make that kind of investment in the program Um, just really says a lot about kind of the mindset of where we are as it relates to community. Um, So we are in full strategic planning mode over here at Austin FC and with 4ATX Foundation, Um, you know, 4ATX Foundation launched over a year ago, um, but we we don't have a mission statement yet. We don't have a vision statement yet. So um, we are kind of working on that organization and really getting clear on what is the impact that we want to have in the community? Um, what do we want to move the needle on? What are those, what are those key issues? Um, and so we should be releasing more information about that um, later this fall.
0: Awesome. Um, so with, with all of the, the protests that are going on across the country right now against police brutality, um, there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of companies and sports teams put out pretty bland statements that have, that were very, very clearly, um, trying to be seen as doing the right thing, but also trying not to offend anyone. Austin FC came out with a statement last week that, um, I thought was, was quite strong and and mentioned some things pretty, pretty bluntly. And so I'll, I'll read a little bit of that post and then we can, we can talk a little bit about it, but, uh, it started with today, tomorrow, and together. Austin FC stands in solidarity with individuals and groups who continue to fight for justice in the name of George Floyd and countless other people from black from the black community who have lost their lives at the hands of racism and senseless violence. It then goes on to 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 mention some other things, but essentially the it's the club challenging themselves and and calling out specific areas where they plan on trying to, to make Austin a better place in, in the, in this regard. And so one of the things they mentioned was upper 90 in the 4ATX foundation. So can you talk a little bit about, um, about what that mission is, is going to look like?
2: Yeah, I'm so glad you brought this up. Um, you know, when, when everything, when George Floyd was killed, um, and Breonna Taylor and, you know, the protests began, um, we, we kind of, sat back and we, we listened and we, we talked a lot internally every single day. And I think from the very beginning, we knew we wanted to say something, but we also really knew that we wanted to do something, um, because words mean nothing if they're not backed up with action. Um, and so I think just even that process of, um, internally, just everybody having their voice heard and having a say and kind of, you know, how we want to shape our clubs not just response to this, but really our long-term strategy, um, you know, Rachel justice work was always going to be a part of the work that we do, um, because it is, you know, it's been a focus of, of upper nineties work since the beginning. Um, and it just, it, it makes sense. You know, Austin is, a uh, you know, amazing city, um, full of diverse groups of people. Um, you know, we obviously have, um, our own problematic racial history um that you know needs to be reconciled. Um but I think just that entire process, it just it gave me personally a lot of energy. Um, There's just a lot of work to be done. And I love how you say, you know, we challenge ourselves because I think that's exactly what it is. Um, It's okay if it's uncomfortable. It's okay if we mess up. It's okay if we don't, we're not perfect. That's the point. It's a challenge and and I think it's one that we are all as a club really ready um, to take on. So I had mentioned before that Upper 90 does restorative justice work. Um, and if you, you know, I've been, I've been spending a lot of time, I'm a white woman and I've been spending a lot of time listening and, and reading things from black leaders in this movement. And one of the things that I've seen a lot, particularly from black educators, um, is a call for more racial justice work. Um, I'm sorry, restorative justice work. Um, and so restorative justice, for those who are not familiar, it's actually um, a philosophy that comes from the indigenous community. Um, so it's it's something we borrow at Upper 90. Um and it's all about um, kind of building relationships and um championing equality and equity and justice and um Yeah, it's a really complicated um, concept to communicate about, but what we do at Upper 90 is we do the first kind of tier of restorative practices, which is community building circles. Um, If you get into the kind of deeper parts of restorative justice, none of it works if there isn't this first kind of um, foundation of trusting relationships. And so the whole idea is about building relationships so that when there is harm, when something does happen in a community, rather than just punishing someone and sending them away, you repair that harm and you bring people together to talk about it and figure out how do we heal from this harm and how do we move forward in a way where everybody feels like they can, you know, be productive members of this community as opposed to just sending people away and outside. Um, So I know it's a super abstract concept, but what it looks like at upper ninety is literally in the middle of practice, we will stop and we'll break into small groups and we'll sit down in a circle and we use a talking piece, which is for us a soccer ball, and each coach is trained in circle keeping um, and we ask different questions, and you know we pass the soccer ball around, and each student and each person you know who joins us for practice has a chance to answer at, you know when you get the talking piece, it's your chance to talk and when you don't have it, it's your chance to listen, which can be really hard for people like me who love to talk. Um, And at the beginning we ask questions like, you know, who's your favorite soccer player? What's your favorite team? Just really basic questions just to get, you know, people talking and and getting to know each other. And then as the program goes on, we start to move into deeper topics um, like identity and, you know, the challenges you might be facing at home and, you know, Pressures you might be feeling. Um, we talk about race all the time. Um, and so it's really just a chance to get people talking to one another and getting to know one another on a really meaningful level. And I think that's the magic of, of Upper 90 is really in the restorative justice work. And so um, we've been having conversations around, you know, how can we expand this work? How can we do um, community circles with and bring people from the larger Austin community into circles. And um, so we're exploring strategies to kind of expand this work right now. I know, you know we're, we're by no means the only people that do this work in Austin. There are a lot of people that have been doing this work far before upper 90. Um, and so I think you know, looking into p- potential partnerships, um, but regardless, you know, using the philosophy as a way to build trusting relationships between people in the city of Boston is something we want to prioritize as a club.
1: Yeah. One of the things that we talked about this when, um, like I think in the lead up to y'all's big fundraiser last year, um, and sort of how we per- would participate. And you told me, I'm going to mess this up, but you told me a really, like a really good story about like a, a, like a real specific success story with a kid through the circles. Like, can, can you share that again? Oh if you gosh. remember that,
2: Oh, I don't know if I remember the exact story, but there are so many. Yeah, so give, I can I can pick yeah, give one.
1: Us one. Give us one. Yeah. <laughs>
2: um let's see. I, you know, one of the ones that I think is just kind of a simple way to kind of show the way this works is um we were doing a circle a couple of years ago, and um we were talking about something, I think the topic was family. And one of our sixth grade students, um, we had heard from the school actually the student had been had stopped going to class, um, would leave class or fall asleep during class or just wouldn't show up. A lot of times they wouldn't show up to school and then would pop out onto the soccer field and magically be there for practice. And so we kind of said, okay, you know, let's see, let's use this instead of punishing this kid and you know punishing them for not going to school. Let's see if we can use this relationship that we have with this this student and see if we can get a little bit of information about what's going on um and so he ended up sharing in this circle that you know he didn't really know what was going on his his mom and and dad weren't talking to each other and his mom was sleeping in his room and he just didn't know what to think but he was really upset and wasn't sure if his family was falling apart um he said that you know his dad had been drinking and he just didn't know what to make of this um and so first of all it was just us finding out that information that we were the first adults in this in his life that he had shared this with and so we were able to connect him with um, a school counselor that he had a relationship with and just kind of facilitate that process of getting him the support that he needed so that he could return to the classroom and feel comfortable. He ended up sharing that the reason he wasn't going to class is because he he would start crying and he was afraid that if he cried in class his friends would make fun of him. So just identifying that that's what was happening in his life was really important. But the other really beautiful thing that happened in the circle is that there was an eighth grader in the circle as well who said, Hey man, you know, my parents actually got divorced a few years ago and my dad was drinking. This was something that happened to me. I know exactly how you are feeling. If you ever want to talk about it, let me know. We can talk. And I think just For that sixth grader, you know, the eighth grader happened to be an amazing soccer player. And I think for him to see that this was a something that he's not alone in and that someone that he actually looks up to through soccer has experienced something like this and that relationship never would have happened if we had not used circle to kind of create a safe space for both of those students to share those things.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. I think this is the most times I've been on the verge of tears in an interview.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I know. I upper ninety kids will make you cry, and they'll make you <laughs> laugh, and they'll make you smile, and everything in between.
1: From <laughs> this year, right? Is that is that right? Can you talk about? Um, aren't you expanding the program?
2: Expanding the upper ninety program. Yeah. So that was the plan, um, and then you know, COVID turned everything upside down, and you know, we've been talking every week about what we're going to do and we've been talking with other groups you know in this in the similar space and um what we've decided is it it works best for us to begin building those relationships with students in person and so because it's you know we I know AIC just came out with an announcement um yesterday but because it's everything is so up in the air in terms of what'll be possible with athletics and, and doing, you know, in-person stuff, we ended up deciding to just stick with um, the schools that we have and the work exploring a couple of other ways that we can begin to introduce the program to more kids, but um, we're not gonna be in the, this fall, we're not gonna be bringing the full version of the program to a, a new school. But hopefully in the spring, that might be a different story.
0: Um, Are there any other projects that that you or the club are working on right now that you would want to highlight?
2: Oh, so many projects. Yeah, I think just just going back to the racial Justice work, you know, I know we had kind of four action items that we shared in that post. And one of them is that we're going to be establishing a forum, um, a community forum for us to kind of do this work together. Um, So we we are working right now on putting the the plans together for exactly what that'll look like, but it's likely to be a combination of kind of an in-person meeting. You know, maybe we do circles, maybe we do kind of a town hall style meeting, something where we can bring people together and listen to experts who have been leading this work for years and, you know, get people talking and sharing um, as well as a digital forum. So some way where people can, especially right now when we can't meet, you know, in person that that people can um, you know, we can solicit ideas from the community. Um, we want to hear this is a club for all of Austin. And so um for people who have thoughts on what they would like to see us doing and, and what they think we should be doing, we definitely want to be listening to that um and making that a part of our strategy. So those are two things to, for people to keep their, their eyes and ears out for um to come. And then I think like I said, you know, we're, we're in planning mode this whole year. And so this fall, we'll be making some announcements um, just about kind of what our focus is going to be as a club and as, you know, the 4ATX Foundation, kind of what our mission is going to be. So very excited about that.
1: So if, if so, for anybody that happens to listen to this and like get super excited about it, getting involved, because like Landon said, your work is very meaningful. Is there, is there a way that listeners can do that?
2: That's a really good question. Um, I would say I, I, I will meet with anybody. I will listen to anybody. So, you know, if you can find me on, on social media or, um, you know, reach out to us via email, if, if you have ideas and want to kind of get that conversation started, um, would love to, would love to hear from you. People message me a lot through Twitter. And I think that's a really great way to kind of start those conversations.
0: So Caitlin, I think I told you uh, I told you this a, a while back at one of the Austin FC meet and greets, but whenever they announced that that uh, Upper 90 was was becoming part of the 40 4AT- ATX Foundation and they were bringing you guys on board, there was uh, there's always names being announced, being hired for different positions, and a lot of them look really good on paper. But your announcement was one of the ones that we had already seen what you could do, and so I know a lot of us were were very excited to to have you on the team and to also see that Austin FC is committing to doing some of these things and not all, they could have put put out the first part of that statement right and just said we're going to do better but they went ahead and put out the second part as well saying this, this is how we're going to try to do better hold us accountable and so i really loved that that they threw their hat over the fence on that one and, and named specific things that they're going to try to do and yeah it's it's really Heartening for me to see people like you involved and really get to hear what, what those things are. So thank you so much for sharing with us.
2: Thank you. I mean, truly anything that I've been able to do with Upper 90 is because of the support that I've received from the soccer community. So I think it's actually just a testament to what we can all do together. Um, and I think the fact that I'm I'm now with Austin FC, you know, it's just, it's really exciting to see where we're gonna be able to go all together um, as a soccer community.
0: All right. Well, thanks for joining us, Caitlin.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: All right. We want to thank Caitlin one more time for joining us and taking the time to talk to us. Um, As she mentioned in the interview, they're not the only people in, in Austin or in the country doing this kind of work but it's it's another avenue and uh, more resources being put into this kind of work to reach reach the kids in these situations so uh yeah i i think the the more work being done in that field the better
1: yeah and i do i do like the appreciation of the club that they're not going to be they can't solve this alone and they may not you know they're not the ones that necessarily have the best solution to it so they need to be a part of the community um and a part of the broader conversation and and plug in through the way that makes the most sense of them and who they are. And another part of the statement that I really liked that we didn't talk a lot about was when they mentioned the part about looking at their own hiring practices and promotion practices and making sure that the way that they behave organizationally was true to, um, to what they were doing in the community. And that's something that I haven't seen a hundred percent of the time from companies that have talked about, you know, we're going to write a check for this. We're going to fund that, but you know, they're, they appear to be putting their money where their mouth is and saying, you know, we're going to do the, all these public outside things, but then we're also going to look at kind of who we are and, and how we hire and how we treat people and make sure that our internal values reflect what we're doing in the community. And I thought that was really positive.
0: Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of ways to get involved these days. Um, some of them, sorry, I'm going to start that over. So there's a, there's a lot of different ways to get involved with, with these types of causes. Um, Jeremiah, can you point some people in the direction of a few of them?
1: Yeah, I'm absolutely happy to do that. So we've, well, uh, I know the club has pulled a few out and then um, we spent a lot of time, sort of my day job as a community affairs person, talking to different people and organizations who are doing this work. And There's a couple that really come to mind. I'm the Austin Justice Coalition, who um, is really looking at um, equality and justice across the board and, they're the ones who've organized a lot of these rallies and protests. They're a really great organization to support. Um, the Austin area, Urban League has done a lot of work in this area, um, and continues especially around like education um, and equality and attainment. And then, uh, you know, no good work over the last fifty years has been done without the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, which is a national organization, but one that has really been at the forefront of uh, making sure that these people that are that are leaders uh, in these movements that you know, end up end up in jail for no real reason, uh, have the right kind of defense they need and they're able to tell their story and stand on their own. So those are three that I think are really good. And we'll put those in the show notes too, so people have the chance to connect with the work that those groups are doing.
0: Yeah. And if if um if you don't have the spare money to give to these types of causes, there are things that you can do for free. Uh contacting your representatives to let them know what kind of changes you want to see being made in your in your city, in your state, in your country. Also, um, voting, voting for people who, who are, are saying they want to make these kinds of changes in your city, your state, and your country. So those are things that you can do that are free and that everyone has access to. Um, all right, before we wrap up, we would like to remind you to, uh, rate, review, and subscribe this new show. Like I said, if you don't like this show, give us a few more episodes before you rate and review, but go ahead and subscribe. Uh, also visit capitalcitysoccer.com to find all of the latest Austin FC news and, and uh, analysis be sure to share it with your friends neighbors whoever we this is a new show that we're building so we're starting from from zero pretty much so um, any of that really really helps us out and that's that's how podcasts grow really is is word of mouth you can do all the promotion and all of all of this and all of that but really the the way that podcasts grow the fastest is by Sharing it with people who you think will like it, so so please do that if, if, uh, if you find it in your heart.
1: Yeah, and we're we're excited about our next show, so we'll be back in two weeks. We're going to interview uh, Rudy Mateo, who's a longtime supporter of Austin FC. Um, he's a soccer dad coach and ref. I'm guessing not all at the same time, although it would be, be pretty
0: <laughs> exciting if you Confl- conflicts of interest there sometimes.
1: <laughs> Possibly, yeah, and, and he's also a Pflugerville City council member and it has a lot of interesting perspectives. Um, around the intersection of of race and soccer, and so really excited to hear what he has to say. Um, he's written a lot on this topic, uh, spoke on it, and so I think he'll be a really good um, perspective to bring to the show.
0: All right, we will be back shortly with more Austin FC news and analysis. My name is Landon Cottom. My name is Jeremiah Bentley. And we'll catch you next time.